if the seller or the buyer were to default on that loan, generally there's no recourse. So it could be where the seller doesn't run the business in the right fashion and they can't pay that note. There's very low recourse for the seller. Ladles and jelly screens, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon sellers and business owners of e-commerce businesses. Today, we're going to talk to Stephen Spear from e-commerce lending. It's not lending in its usual form. Most people think of lending as a way to fund inventory or other operational things. But today, we're going to be talking about how that can help exit a business, i.e. sell it, which is when, if you need education these days, about two thirds, maybe even more of the total money you'll ever make in a business will come through that exit. So it's really worth knowing how to make sure that exit actually happens. Um, Stephen's a 28 year veteran of the lending space. E-commerce lending has lent over $300 million with an M. So that's lots and lots of experience brought to the table. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. We've got a bit of your CV, so I guess we know you're expert already. So let's plunge into the topic. First of all, we're talking about how financing can help exit a business. What is exit financing and how does that differ between the usual lending that we're used to for operations? In the sense that ultimately as a seller, what can you do as a seller to exit with as much profit or as much net proceeds as possible? And to be able to do that, one strategic way is to be able to open up the buyer pool quite a bit, which will pu push the price that you sell your business quite a bit higher. And part of that is the ability of a seller to offer financing, not from a seller note perspective, but be able to have the business that he or she operates would qualify for financing. So when a buyer comes in, there's financing available for that purchase. And generally when there's financing available, it does push the price point quite a bit higher because obviously it exponentially grows the buyer pool. So we work with sellers in preparing them for their exit uh, from that standpoint. And oftentimes, Michael, quite a bit ahead of their exit. It could be a year or two out, but we help them get certain things in place to be able to, again, shore up financing for any potential buyer buying that person's business. Very interesting. And it does make sense. Like it's not the same, but just to, to reach for things that I guess we're all familiar with a mortgage on a property or real estate, as you call it in the States, even though you don't have real anything, cause it's a royalty <laughs> property, real estate. If you are only looking for cash buyers of a say $3 million house, then it's going to be a much, much smaller pool of buyers than if they can get a mortgage. Now, obviously normally the buyer in that case is the person who has to pre-qualify for the lending. So you're almost uh, on the opposite side of the scale. Just trying to wrap my head around this. What, why is it that as the buyer, you would be the person arranging finance? Would not normally be the person, sorry, as the seller, the person with the property you're selling, in this case, the business. Why would it be you organizing it and not the buyer? There are two, two pieces of the puzzle when it comes to business acquisition finance. One is does business qualify for financing. The other piece does a buyer qualify for financing. Whereas when you purchase a property, it's really, it's the buyer, the buyer qualified to buy that property with the mortgage, yes or no. So business acquisition, both things, because you can have a very well-qualified buyer, but if the business doesn't qualify for financing, then it really doesn't matter. Okay. So the buyer qualifies. So this is okay. So basically 
<laughs> talk me through the basics of this. I, I understand the, the power that of meaning that people don't have to put down $3 million in cash or cash equivalent in one go, because that means that you're 10 or whatever it is we're talking about. But that does bring us to the simple question, which is what size businesses are we talking about that this applies to? Do we land anywhere from $500,000 up to $250 and we have two different programs? Some are more geared towards U.S. citizens. And where our capital access fund generally is $7 million enterprise value and up, and that's open to the world. So it allows buyers to be able to purchase a, a prop or purchase a business up to 80% leverage with it, up to 80% leverage. So you may have somebody that has the ability of maybe buying a $3 million business in cash. What does it look like with the same amount of money being able to buy maybe $10 million business by the use of some but loan facility. That's where we come in. Yeah. And obviously <clears throat> there are a lot more people in the world with $3 million to spend on the business than there are 10. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. So I can understand the basic argument. So how does it look without getting too into the weeds? Obviously that's your specialism to guide people through that stuff and make it happen. But the seller decides that they want to make the buyer pool bigger and thus push up the, the value of the business. So how do they go about it? What are the basic? What we do is review the financials of that business because ultimately lending is all about the financials of the business, be it to review their tax returns, review their P&L statements, et cetera. That's a lot of it. It's a lot of businesses, especially in the online space, they start off husband, wife type of situation and before they know it, they have this enormously profitable business worth multi-million dollars. And oftentimes the bookkeeping of that business is not, is not entirely straightforward. So we help, we help with that. We help put together their financials. Sometimes we even pull in CPAs to be able to help with that. And that's ultimately it because lenders lend based on the financial performance of a business. The business could be wonderful, but if it doesn't show profit, it makes it impossible to, to short finance for that buyer. Yeah. And by the way, yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure in what sense a business is wonderful that doesn't have good profits, <laughs> but I guess you could have beautiful products and be serving the world well, but that's charity masquerading as a business, isn't it? Okay. So I guess it, who would be able to do this? We talked about the size of business. You talked about you guys are based in the US so that some US citizens can go a bit smaller. Are there any other sort of things that, that would mean that who should be even considering this as I suppose what I'm working towards, who is this for and who's this not for? Yeah, I would say anybody in, in looking at your audience, primarily in the UK and elsewhere outside of the United States, I would say our capital access fund, where it's basically a business that's going to be sold for roughly $7 million and up. And again, we have sellers reach out to us, we view the financials, we review their exit strategy and try to give some sort of guidance. So when the time comes for their exit, everything's laid out, everything's straightforward and are able to exit with as much money in their pocket as possible. And that's, that's a service we provide to sellers. And on the buyer side, as sellers have interested buyers, we're able to vet those buyers for the sellers or for their brokers that they're using an intermediary and work with the intermediary to be able to vet the buyers as they come through as well. Makes sense. I guess my question to try and home in on, so that's who's eligible, but let me ask a different question. Who do you think should use debt financing to help sell their own business and who do you think should not be doing that? So not irrespective of whether they can, doesn't mean they should. So who should be doing Ultimately, every seller wants to increase the buyer pool. So I would say it's open to anybody. If you're trying to sell your business for $10 million or 
something of that nature and a business and you're trying to sell it to someone ready to stroke a check, your buyer pool drastically de decreases. So ultimately we're trying to get as much on your exit as possible. Financing, being able to finance a buyer is the best way to open up that buyer pool. Okay, there's really so no guess, instance where it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's asking a lender whether they people should be lent money is probably a silly question, but I guess, but what you say makes a lot of sense. Are there businesses where in a position where even if they could get the money, they shouldn't? If the business is able to service the debt on the loan, that's what we look at. And if it's not able to service the debt on the loan, obviously, that would be a situation where financing would not be uh, proved. Those are some of the things. And also, there could be a combination thereof, meaning the seller provides some sort of seller note on top of whatever we lend to the buyer. So it could be a combination of different so different debt for a buyer to be able to leverage. And we're really talking about return on investment. If you buy a $10 million business and you have to, let's just say, put $2 million of your own money in, you could get 200% return on your money. So debt, I know some people are debt adverse and I get it. So maybe in a situation like that, have the buyer could not leverage 80%, maybe leverage 50% or something like that. And we work with a lot of independent sponsors that even though 80% leverage is available, they pair it back a little bit and they put their own cash in and also a combination of cash, seller carry, and then the financing vehicles that we offer here at e-commerce lending. Good. So let's just unpick a couple of things, which particularly for British or non-American listeners might be a bit of a mystery word. So sell a note doesn't mean a little note you write to somebody saying, congratulations, you've sold it. So that means it's a particular thing in America, <laughs> financial world, doesn't it? Which is not a phrase we use in Britain. So can you explain what that means? It's seller financing. Basically the seller, instead of, let's just say on his exit or her exit, instead of getting a check for $10 million, if there's a seller note for $2 million, Basically, the seller is lending the buyer $2 million. And now the buyer makes payments on that loan to the seller over a course of whatever, three, five years, 10 years, whatever the term is. And it's very common here in the States. And actually, it oftentimes allows a seller to exit for quite a bit more money than the not offering it, a seller loan. What we call seller, a seller now. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very I common, guess... probably... 95% of our deals have some sort of seller loan, meaning that the seller is giving a loan to the buyer. We're getting a little bit less money at exit, but at the end of the day, once that loan's paid off, they're getting a lot more money than they would ordinarily. Great. So I guess you just part partially answered the question of why on earth would you want to do that and more money overall as a deal size. So what are the pros and cons? So the pros, obviously, what are the other sort of pros and cons of offering? The cons would be that you have no recourse. If the seller or the buyer were to default on that loan, generally there's no recourse. So it could be where the seller doesn't run the business in the right fashion and they can't pay that note. There's very low recourse for the seller. But the pros for the buyer is that the seller still has a vested interest in the continued success of that business. So post-acquisition, the seller is going to be a lot more engaged during the transitionary period. And generally, there's a six-month six to 12-month transitionary period between buyer and seller. Obviously, the seller has put skin in the game. 
they're going to be a lot more attentive to yeah. the success of that business. So I guess what I should have, and I guess I'm automatically very on the side of selling because I know so many people who sold their businesses and I know few people, like one or two who've acquired businesses in the e-commerce space. So yeah, I suppose I should have said pros and cons, but yeah. So in other words, for the buyer, that's a pro for the seller. It's a con to have more vested interest, I guess, if you want a clean exit. Right. But it's very interesting. And also like, the seller is going to get less money yeah. initially from that exit, mm-hmm. but over time, they're going to get more money. So, yeah. So I guess you've got to re- weigh up the risk reward equation there. And I guess it depends partly on the seller's personal financial position, but they've sold off their mortgage and they've got enough money to retire. Then if they can make extra money on top, that's a bonus. And if for whatever reason, the deal falls apart, then it's not a disaster. So I guess is those are the sorts of factors that, that people put into play when they make that decision. Also tax wise, sometimes it makes better sense for the seller to do offer a lending vehicle to the buyer because ultimately that in my example that two million dollars doesn't get taxed so there are also some tax strategies behind that as well we've had deals where the seller is offering 30 40 percent loan to the buyer because they they want they'll want it such a significant taxable event in one year they want to kind of drag that on for maybe five years and here in the states the more money you make, the higher the tax rate. So it makes sense oftentimes to to leave a little bit of money on the table so you're not getting whacked by by the high taxation rate of, in my example, of that $2 million and where it's spread over time. Yeah, tax strategy really does come into so much of life, doesn't it? We tend to ignore it, but that's a very interesting point that I'm going to hesitate to quote Robert Kiyosaki to, to a finance <laughs> specialist because he's a, an interesting figure. But anyway, I would say this, that he says... Debt is a really great thing for minimizing tax. And he has a fair point. I think you, this is one subset of that general principle, right? I guess that one thing you've got to do anyway is, as you say, <laughs> get a good bookkeeper, but also a great, which is not the same, great tax accountant who really understands Absolutely. the business in your districts. And debt strategy, exit strategy, tax strategy have to all tie in together from what you're saying, which makes so much sense. But it really helps. As soon as you said it, it seems obvious, but it's like a lot of wisdom hadn't really thought about it before. And yes, I know a few people who've, who've sold businesses and some of them have regretted their lack of tax strategy because I don't even know exactly how it works with really big deals and, and the taxation side in the UK because I've not had the luck of selling a big deal myself. But certainly I know some people who said they realized in retrospect they could have saved themselves several hundred thousand dollars in hard-earned cash. It's not abstract. Well, Michael, even on small deals, for example, here in the States, if you sell your business at a stock sale, your tax rates are less than it would be on an asset sale. Okay, So that's one thing. And so it doesn't have to be, let's just say a seven figure exit, even for the smaller exits, definitely talk to a tax strategist because the way you sell your business can, it can really impact your taxation. And even for a smaller purchase, I would definitely spend a few couple thousand dollars to get some tax strategies in place before you exit. Yeah. And you talked about tax strategies and exit and actually, and you mentioned pretty early on in the show that you tend to plan one to two years in advance of the exit. And I would say the same with tax strategy, actually. And if you can combine the two, that's a beautiful thing because you're saving crazy amounts of money. I, I guess we all forget that we tend to have this relationship with the government where we think tax is inevitable or just something that a specialist will deal with. And I guess it's neither, right? <laughs> and that right. seems to be what the experts tell me. Yeah. 
So that's very interesting and very worthwhile advice. Thank you for that alone. Now, you mentioned finances as one of the key things, obviously, people look for in a business. But again, if we're coming back to the question, if it's sounding more and more desirable, I can understand why you want to do all these things. What else do people look for in businesses when they when you think about lendability for this kind of thing? Primarily, the type of learning we do is is cash flow learning, meaning how much net profit does a business make and can it service that debt? So that's primarily what we look at. We also look at the viability of the business. If it's a business that's involved in anything that's trendy, shy away from. So those are some of the things that can make or break the ability for a seller to to be able to have financing in place for a specific buyer. We look at that. And we also look at historical earnings, not just what's happened in the last 12 months. We generally look at what's happened with the business last two years or even sometimes three years, depending on the size of the but those are some of the things we look at. And we look at trends, Michael. The business has year over year decline in revenue. Are we trying to catch a falling? Those are some of the things we, we look for. Now in the e-commerce space specifically, most businesses have really high year over year growth. So generally we don't run into that, but recently we ran into a business that had a little bit of a COVID bump and it's coming right off that bump. And it's been tough to get financing in place for that person. So those are some of the things we look at. Yeah, interesting. And that sounds again like a subset of business valuation. I guess if you're buying a business now, it's it's the net present value, isn't it? Really, no econ businesses seem to be valued on that. I remember Jeff Bezos saying, if we have other ways of valuing businesses and we can take net present value, we'll take the net value of future cash flows is the traditional rational way of valuing stuff. But it's it tends to be on a multiplier these, doesn't it? It's a multiple of trailing 12 months profits. And what that doesn't imply is the buyer's view of the future, but obviously they're buying the future as a very wise investment banker, but it's me on the show. So I guess that implies they've got to have some faith that it's going up or at least at the very least stable. And it's a very good point that I suspect post COVID, that's a big thing. This year, a lot of my clients in the mastermind who who did whatever, say $10 million in the COVID sort of lockdown period, maybe are looking at, you know, I don't know what, a fall of 30, 40% from that in some cases. But also, depending when you're listening to this, if this is going out the podcast, it might be out there for quite a while. If it's mid 2023, hello future, um, be great if you could pick up the phone and tell us how solid this recession is in the USA slash in Europe, because it could be pretty major and pretty sustained, in which case this year and year decline thing is something a lot of us are going to have to deal with, isn't it? Is this something you've been in the, this space for a long time? How do people, how do lenders deal with that kind of situation where it's, it's there is obviously a value to the business? but it's not obviously on a growth trajectory. How does that get? That's a really good point. And everybody's talking recession. Obviously that, that comes into place. But at the end of the day, if the drop off is mild, or let's just say 10%, then it's really doesn't raise any eyebrows. But if the drop off is 30 or 40%, lenders are going to pull back. They're, they look at risk. All lenders look at risk. And if there's a risk for the business to, to decrease, revenues to decline significantly and not meet their debt service requirement, then that's an issue. One thing we've found in the e-commerce space, Michael, is that even though we may be facing a recession, all of all retail sales, e-commerce retail sales continue to increase year over year. So even if we see a dip in terms of all retail sales, there's a possibility for that really not to affect overall e-commerce. Retail sale. I think we approached one trillion dollars this year in e-commerce retail sales, or this past year, e-commerce retail sales, and I think it's about a fifty percent increase over the last three years. So, again, all retail sales go down, but 
e-commerce retail sales may even go up during a recessionary period. Great. Last question then before we, we begin to wrap things up. What are the non-financial things you look for in a business sense? You talked a lot, understandably, about finance and it makes total sense. What are the other things? And one thing to note on the larger deals, sometimes we look at it subjectively. We recently had a business that was, that's an apparel business. And our credit fund just didn't, they just, they don't think it's sexy enough to lend on it. So there's a little bit of subjective subjectivity to any sort of lending decision on the larger deals. And we've had a couple of instances of that. And we look for growth trends within that segment. For example, pet product businesses year over year are just exploding, even though competition's increasing. And that's a very desirable segment, as is anything related to health, Michael. So we look for growth trends within a specific segment, whereas other segments may not be doing as well. Yeah, that does make sense. So there's a sort of objectivity about the market data and then there's subjectivity about particular businesses. And yeah, I can answer, in the end, a lot of significant things in life are incredibly subjective and that's the balance. It seems like finances has got a rational basis compared to a lot of ways of running a business. And as you say, the smaller business owners tend to be pretty shaky on their financials. But nevertheless, there's always a personal judgment involved, isn't there, with this stuff, really, it seems. I would say 80% boils down to financial picture of a business and maybe 20% subjectivity. That's a, that, thank you. That's a nice sort of rule of thumb. So the 80-20 rules apply. And so if you've got solid Amazing. financials, you're probably going to be pretty lendable by the sound of it, to put it in simple terms. Let's just quickly summarize for the listeners what it is you do for e-commerce business owners, which is the focus of this episode. We're going to do a quick episode about the buyer's perspective, which is a very exciting opportunity. But from the seller's perspective, what do you do to help them? What do you, services you The key is that we consult them typically in a financial way to be able to put their business, pre-qualify their business prior to their exit. And then once they go live, once they go to market, then we help that the buyers that are interested in buying their business. So those are two key things. Oftentimes we provide them with a level of support in building their exit team, introducing them perhaps to to accountants or bookkeepers, but really be able to really shore up their financials, their information. And typically again, sellers, even on the bigger deals, sometimes their financials are not put together very well. We assist in that. We have strategic partners that help our clients accomplish just that. Nice. That sounds really good. So if people want to go any further in exploring this, obviously the big decisions, I'd be quite surprised if somebody just clicks on something in the show notes, by the way, they are folks at the at 10kcollective.com, but I'm surprised if they click through and just apply for a $10 million loan, that would be escalating swiftly, but presumably there are some interim steps. So what ways can you offer help to people who want to explore this further? For any of your audience members that are interested in reaching out to us, you could actually reach out to me directly at steven at ecommercelending.com and that's steven, ph at ecommercelending.com. And we'll set up a Zoom call and discuss your goals as a business owner in terms of your exit. And we will be more happy to assist you with that. Sounds great. And I think it's sort of thing. And so just to be clear, so who should and shouldn't get in touch if it's below five minutes. So from what about half a million dollars in enterprise value upwards if you're US based. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's about right. Yes. Five million dollars US dollars. Obviously if it's British pounds, it's less than that, but yeah. that we'll be able to assist you. And then if it's above about what, five, did you say five, seven million dollars anywhere in the world, basically? Um, generally we're working with English speaking countries. 
yeah. not exclusively. So it's kind of case by case basis. Obviously, UK definitely, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So this is AUKUS countries without being political. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for that. We're going well, to, you know, I, I don't know Spanish, for example. So yeah. So yeah. And also I guess that it's interesting that my understanding of the sort of financial culture of those countries is they have some degree of similarity. They're a bit more risk on, they have more sophisticated lending systems relative to say mainland Europe. My understanding is it's more conservative space, shall we say, in terms of debt. So it's, it's probably a different culture anyway, which doesn't mean if you're German and you listen to this and if in doubt, talk to an American about lending, because you might find some opportunities that you didn't know existed in your country. But yeah, it sounds like English speaking countries with a substantial enterprise value. And I guess to, to simplify this down, the last point, if somebody's looking at $5 million, sadly, because of the exchange rate, about 4 million pound enterprise value. And they just know their revenue and hopefully they know their pre-tax profit, EBITDA, SDE, whatever you want to call it. How are they going to get a rough handle on whether it's the right kind of size deal? I, I didn't follow your question. Um, how? Sorry. So if I'm, a, if I'm listening to this and I'm, I own a business that is doing about $5 million in revenue, but I don't know what the enterprise value is, how do I decide whether I should get in contact with you or not is the basic question. I would err on this, this contact. Us, we'll discuss it, and if it doesn't make sense, then that's fine. There's no harm done. Brilliant. So that's I think the contact. key for your audience is to look forward. Oftentimes, sellers don't even they don't think about their exit until they're ready to exit. We're okay. we're trying to educate our, our clients. Think about you. Know, you need to plan your exit. You can't just like one day wake up and say, "Yeah, I want to sell my business." You got to plan forward, and typically a year or two out, and you're. It's going to pay dividends when you go to exit. If you plan for your exit, you have to plan for your exit. Great. So very good thought to end things with. So if in doubt, reach out and plan in advance, get the expert help. Certainly a lot of expertise coming through very clearly, as you'd expect of a veteran in the lending space. And so Stephen just remains for me to say for this episode, many thanks from the show and sharing your wisdom. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.